you know, the more I, I hear those stories, the more I know that, that uh, our stories are powerful. You know, I've, I've shared before, I always think that my salvation story is boring. But, you know, any time that God interacts with us and when we accept Jesus, that's a powerful thing. And so that's awesome uh, to see. My name's Tony Harden, if you don't know me, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at the church, and I just want to welcome everybody uh, today. Thank you all for coming, and like Randy said before, if this is your first time, I want to especially thank you for coming today. We really want to get to know you. And my prayer is that when you walked in the door, if you're that guest, that, that you were made to feel like you're right at home. And so uh, hopefully that's, that's our goal. That's what we want you to feel when you walk in the door. So thank you all uh, for being here. Uh, we're continuing on in this series that Randy was talking about um, called I Am. And you, know, you can see I Am fill in the blank. And so for several weeks we've been talking about different things. Today we're going to be continuing on in Ephesians in chapter 2. And we're going to be talking about the fact that we're reconciled. That we're reconciled uh, to God. And so that's the title of the, the sermon today, I Am Reconciled. And we're going to learn uh, in these verses that, that Paul was teaching about reconciliation. He was teaching about reconciliation among the saints, reconciliation among the believers. But he's also teaching about how we can be reconciled to God. And so we're going to be, we're going to be looking at that word, uh, reconcile. I don't know if you've ever thought about what that word really means. And so if y'all know me, I love definitions. And so I, I, I had to look this up. So reconcile means to be restored to friendship or to harmony. It's a process of restoration, to be restored to friendship or harmony. And you know, in, in our culture today, in our church culture, there's a term that's common. It's not a good term, and it's not a great thing, but it's such a common occurrence that there's actually a term for it. You all have probably heard it. It's called church split. You know, that, that happens. Sometimes church congregations split. They separate. And so it's a real term. And, and you know, like I said, it's a shame that that exists, but it's also something that we know in our own history. The Journey Church has a split in its history. You've probably heard us talk about that before. Years ago, probably 20 some odd years ago maybe, maybe not that long ago, but, but the church split. Not just in two, but it split three ways. And, and from what I can hear, I wasn't around, I didn't experience it, but there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of bad things. There were a lot of things that people said that, that they probably didn't mean. But, but the damage was there. There were some people that probably left church altogether because of the hurt, because of the pain that happened. And unfortunately, that's all too common in our country today within the Christian church. But let me tell you something that's not common, and that's reconciliation. And, and what some of you probably already know is that in our church, in Journey Church, even though we had that split, we had, we had two of the groups that had splintered off. And it's my understanding that they, there was this one big event that they knew that each of them couldn't do on their own. And so they started talking to one another again. And after the leaders had met a few times, they said, hey, if we can pull this off, if we can make this happen, then there's really no reason for us to continue to be apart. And so the event went off well, and, and something happened that usually never happens in the church world. There was a reconciliation. The church came back together. And so there's, there's no wonder why we, we have to tell you this, that Journey Church, in, in our DNA, we have reconciliation in our DNA, and we're humbled by that. And we're proud of that. And, and so that's what's not common in our church world, but is common with us today. And so we're going to be digging into Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start off with looking 
at uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. If you want to follow along in your Bible, however you want to do that, but this, the words will be up on the screen. Let's go ahead and dig into that. <clears throat> For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, div the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And so what is Paul talking about? He's talking, I believe, he's talking to the Jews and the Gentiles in this church in Ephesus. We've we got to kind of understand what the church in Ephesus might have looked like. Ephesus was this burgeoning town, and, and its claim to fame was this, this huge temple of Artemis. And, and so it was kind of a fertility goddess, this Artemis, uh, also called Diane. And so there was this big, huge temple. They said it was one of the seven wonders of, of the world at that time. And so there was a pagan culture within Ephesus, but there was also a Jewish population. And I'd have to say that the church probably looked like that. That there was this mix of pagan culture and then Jewish culture, and the two of those were probably uh, conflicting. There was probably some rifts between that. And I know that I think what Paul was thinking is if that's left unchecked, that can divide and that can split a congregation. So I think he's dealing with that in this letter. So Paul was reminding him that they're reconciled through the cross. It's an important thing to remember, that they are recognized, that all of us, no matter what our differences, were reconciled through the cross. And it's important for all of us to, to believe that and understand that uh, as believers. We are reconciled also, what God, Paul, I think Paul is saying, the second thing he's talking about is that we're all reconciled to God. We're all reconciled to God. See, see man once had this perfect relationship with God had this perfect friendship and this perfect harmony with God. And we see this picture of this in the book of Genesis. And we're going to spend some time looking at this. So if you want to follow along with me on this, it's in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start out with verses 26 and 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that he may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Now, have you, have you really read this? I mean, have you really thought about this? You know, every time I do this, I, I, it's like I've read it for the first time, although I know I've read it countless times. But when I read this this time, you know, it, it really kind of gave me a little bit of some chills, like it's like some chill bumps to think about it. Because when I started to realize that man originally, that, that Adam and Eve were men and women as God intended men and women to be. Have you ever thought about that? You know, they were born into a sinless world. God, God made them this beautiful garden and he put it at their disposal. He put it at their pleasure. Have you ever thought about what the garden might have looked like? I mean, have you ever thought about like, in, like you're in, in the woods or you're in the forest or whatever and there's just, just this mist in the air and it's just so perfect and everything around you is, is so crisp. And it, it's kind of, we could never really imagine what that probably looks like, but we can only compare it to what we see here on earth. But, but they, 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 had, they had it pretty good. 
They walked with God in the cool of the day. It says they were naked. They didn't even know it. They didn't even understand that. They had direct access to the creator of the universe. They were in perfect harmony and perfect friendship with, with the Creator. And if you know of a guy named Paul Harvey, you'll know that, that he used to say, now for the rest of the story. And we'll continue on in Genesis as we look into that. It says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. And then the devil responded, and he said, You will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so doesn't that sound familiar in our culture today? Doesn't that sound familiar? Haven't we heard stuff like that before? We kind of hear these little lies that get, that get stuck in our ears. And I want to touch on something that's, that's kind of happening right now in the church world, in the culture, again, that we live in. It's a thing called progressivism or progressive Christianity. And, and what that means, when you hear things like, oh, God didn't really mean that, that's progressive Christianity. Or, or when you hear people say, well, the Bible is thousands of years old, yeah, and we're so different now, it, it, it doesn't apply to us today. That's progressive Christianity. One of the worst things, Jesus is one way, but not necessarily the only way to approach God. That's progressive Christianity. And folks, I really don't care about what everybody's political views are. I don't care who you voted for in the last election. I don't care what motivates you. You know, it doesn't concern me what causes activates you. When you talk about progressive Christianity like I've just described it, folks, it's heresy. It's a lie. It's the devil whispering into our ear. It's, it's idolatry when we omit the truth or we create a truth that, su that suits us. Progressive Christianity is a heresy. It's false. And I don't mean to go off on a tangent here, but, and I know I've said stuff like this before, but I really think this is real, and I really think that it's, that it's dangerous, and I think it's basically the devil trying to convince us of something else. I think the devil tries to attempt... To, to whisper in our ear and, and tell us to create our own Christianity or, or tell us that Christianity is something that it's not. And so I think we have to be careful. The devil told Eve, God's lying to you. He said he really didn't mean that. He just doesn't want you to be like him. But don't you deserve what's rightfully yours? I mean, that's kind of appealing, right, when we hear that? I mean, whenever someone tells us it's all about us, that's, that's tempting for us to, to, buy on, to buy into that. I know I can buy into it. It does sound appealing. Our world is full of those lies today. It's, it's kind of rampant. I hear so many people make a big deal about how things are different now, that we've somehow evolved past that, and the Bible doesn't really apply to us. And that things were, were, were so much different back then. But really, when you really peel back the onion and you look at, at what they went through back then and what we're going through today, it's pretty much the same. We're exposed to most, most of the same thing that they were. We're tempted by the same things. We give in to sin like Adam and Eve gave in to sin every day. We're on this same roller coaster ride that the Jews were on back in the time of Moses. When, when they would be at this high pinnacle, this high watermark where they're so happy and they're praising God and they're giving Him credit and things begin to be so good that, that they kind of slowly start to think, I don't need God. 
and then the plummet starts and they go down the hill and then when they get to the bottom, then they start calling out to God again and then He responds and that roller coaster ride starts north again. Is that not us today? Things just aren't that much different. At least I don't think so. That cycle starts over and over again. But folks, I want to tell you, if you don't hear anything today besides this, the Word is true. The Word is alive. The Word is applicable. It's just as applicable today as it was 2,000 years ago. Don't fall into that trap. Don't let yourself get caught into that type of thinking. Progressivism, universalism, all the other isms, they're all lies perpetuated by, the, by Satan and they're dangerous. So don't let yourself be deceived. I'm not saying this to try to pick a, an argument or a fight with anybody. I promise you, that's not my motivation. I'll, I'll tell you, to be honest with you, my motivation is that I love each and every one of you. And I would have to really hate you not to warn you of something that's so dangerous. Like I tell Randy all the time, we got to realize we're in the people business, and so we care about you. And we care about you. We care about where you are. Let's, okay, I'm off my soapbox. I'm off my tangent. Let's go ahead and continue on uh, reading in the book of, of Genesis. <clears throat> when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And, that, and then, then basically Adam, when God confronts him, when, when, when God finds him in, in, in the uh, garden, when they tried to hide, when God confronts him, what does Adam do but throw Eve under the bus? He says, the, the woman gave me the food and I ate it. You ever catch that? It's like, ladies, if, if that doesn't make you, make you understand that things are the same today as they were back then, I don't know what else would. So things really haven't changed that much. Let's continue on. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. To the woman God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you'll give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband, and you'll serve him. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. Last week, Raph talked about the fact that God in today's world doesn't punish us for our sins, but he also correctly stated that there are consequences for sin. And this is where it started. This is right here. This is where the consequences of sin came into the world. Continuing on, it says, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to, to reach out and take the, tree, the fruit from the tree. He'll eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. See, I believe that man was created. I think this is telling us that man was created to be in perfect communion with God in this right relationship with the creator of the universe, living in harmony with his will. But man chose sin, and that perfect relationship was affected forever. 
because of our sin, our per- that perfect relationship is, is affected forever. Man's lost his place in the order of things the way God intended. I'm going to take you back to school today. There was an order, again, there was this perfect order that God had in store for us. And, and originally, the, the order of things was such as this. God was at his rightful place. Man was at his place, and then there was the angels. Angels being created beings. You know, angels aren't... Uh, I really would think what the Bible says about angels, and we could talk for another hour about angels, but, but what the Bible says about angels is that they're created beings. They're not really our relatives that, that earn their wings. They're created beings. And so man was created above the angels. And then because of what I just talked about, the fall, our position was changed dramatically. Man became a little lower than the angels. And so we lost our order through sin. We lost our order in the things, in the way things were, the way God intended them to be. We lost that friendship again, that harmonious relationship with God and the creator of the universe. Now that sounds pretty hopeless, right? If if we, we had this so good, we lost this, it sounds pretty hopeless, but Paul's also telling us about the solution. The solution to this problem that we have. In Ephesians, we're going to go back and we're going to read verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God in the world. Paul's talking to the Gentiles. He's talking to the pagans. Then he continued on. He said, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near to the blood of Christ. I really think that Paul was calling here for unity between the Gentiles and the Jews. The the Jews were probably uh, not, not very nice to the Gentiles because they didn't practice all of their ordinances. And the Gentiles probably... Had, had animus towards the Jews because they were trying to force them into their traditions. But Paul's making the point here that we need to resolve to reconcile with one another in the church. They, they were probably having kind of a denominational squabble. You know, the other ones were thinking they had it right and they were going to heaven. You ever heard that joke about St. Peter who, who's given a tour of heaven and, and with, to this one person that's just come in and they walk, they're walking down a hall and they pass by a door and there's... A bunch, of, a bunch of people in there drinking coffee and eating dessert, and the guy stops and says, who are these folks? And St. Peter says, Shh, keep it down. Those are the Baptists. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> and so it's kind of a denominational squad. But you can put any denomination in there. I kind of just pick on the Baptists, but, well, because they're Baptists. But, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. But let's get back into it. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached to you who were far away and and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy 
temple in the Lord, and in Him you are too being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. And if that don't fire you up, I don't know what. You're probably dead if that doesn't fire you up. That is, I, I, I posted on Facebook the other day how fired up I was about studying that and reading that. I think God, Paul is calling reconciliation to the church. And if there weren't any fusses going on, if there wasn't any conflict, I don't think he would think that was worth bringing up. But I want to tell you something about man. I'm not sure about you, but if you put your faith in me, if you put your trust in me, I'm going to let you down every time. You know, sooner or later, probably more sooner than later, I'm going to let you down. And if you're really, really honest with yourself, and I know that's tough for us to do sometimes, but if you're honest with yourself, uh, you'd be the same way. If people were putting their trust, hanging their hat on what you can do for them, they're going to they're gonna let you down. You're going to let them down. doesn't keep us and stop us from complaining about each other when that happens at all. But we're going to let each other down. And, and Paul is showing us that God demands unity among the saints, though. When we have division among each other as believers, God demands reconciliation. A restoration of friendship, a restoration of this harmony uh, between His adopted sons and daughters. God calls for that. Reading on, it says, His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God. And here's the important part, through the cross. Through the cross. Through Jesus Christ. I've just spent a lot of time talking to you about the problem and talking about the problem that sin brings into everybody's life. And sin has created a separation, a rift between us and their creator. And that happened right from the start. But we do have a solution. God is a just God. God is a perfect God. And God cannot, uh, he cannot be capable to turn a blind eye to sin. As a matter of fact, he kind of has to turn away from us in our sin. But God's also a loving God, and he wants that right relationship that he intended us to have with him from the very beginning. Sin has its own consequences, and it requires a sacrifice. God's got a perfect plan of reconciliation. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be that sacrifice, to be that sacrifice for us, to become this high priest for us, this high priest once and for all. That is God's solution to this separation, just as Paul explained that we're reconciled to God through the cross, through Jesus Christ. You know, we, we went through the order of things here, and you know, when we, we have the, what God's plan was originally, then we have the fall, and, and then we have the result that we lose our place in the order of things. But what we see here, what Paul is telling us, is that through the cross, that order is restored. Through the cross, through Jesus Christ, through Jesus and alone, nothing else, that's what restores us to this right relationship with God. See, through Jesus Christ, we can become the men and women that God intended us to be. That order is restored. Now, what does that look like? What does it look like to be in that right relationship? Well, I can tell you some things that probably doesn't look like. It's not just about being good enough. It's not about just doing enough of the good things and not doing 
enough of the bad things. It's not about sinning less, and especially it's not about sinning less than the next guy. Don't we tend to compare ourselves when it comes to our sin? You know, it's like my sins are, they're pretty bad, but they're not as bad as this guy, so I think I'm okay. But unfortunately, God does not grade on the curve when it comes to sin. Sin is sin, no matter what. It's not about checking off our religious checklist. You know, it's not about just, I read for an hour this morning from the Bible, um, and, and I prayed for somebody this morning. It's, it's not just about those checklist things. And, I, and don't hear me wrong. All those things are disciplines that we should practice. We should become scholars of the Word, but those aren't the end game. That's not what's going to do it for us. It's all about accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior. And it's about being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't even end there. Then it's about it committing to a lifetime effort of rearranging our lives to match His will. It's about committing to the greatest commandment to love God and to love people. It's about committing to that everyday commission to make disciples that make disciples. That means to become a student and a follower of Jesus that takes what you learn and imparts that into others so that the kingdom can grow. I wanted to share with you, and I've shared with a lot of you, I'm, I'm meeting with a group of people on the fourth Thursday of every month. It's just for a couple hours in the evening. And that's all we're doing. We're going to be learning about Jesus, looking at what He did so that we can learn how to walk as Jesus walked. Calling this group Live 2-6, it's based on 1 John 2-6. It says, those that abide in Him ought to walk as Jesus walked. It's not too late to join that group. We're going to be meeting for a year. And I would love for you to walk alongside us. I, I'm just trying to learn and to share what I've learned with a group of people. We've got a couple dozen people that have joined already. If you're interested in that, I would really love it if you would let me know. Come up after the service, talk to me, uh, get my information off the website, and uh, just get in touch with me, and I'd love to send you an invitation to that. You know, as I wrap up today, the whole message that I've been talking about today, this reconciliation, it's the fact that God calls us to be reconciled with one another as His people. I believe that with all my heart. You can't bear a grudge with a fellow Christian and love God at the same time. I think the Bible tells us that. It's not possible. Loving God and loving people are inextricably linked. There's no way you can separate that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and then remember that, that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and first go and be reconciled to them. Then come back and leave your gift. You know, if you're a Christian here today, if you've, if you've accepted Jesus into your life, there's, there's, there's something I want to talk to you about, and it's the importance of reconciliation with your brothers and sisters. I think that Jesus was telling us this of the utmost importance in those verses, that we reconcile with one another. Maybe you're here today and there's a separation between you and someone else that's got you bitter, or it's got you angry, or it's got you hurt. And, and maybe you don't want to let it go, or maybe you don't think you can let it go. And maybe today's the day that you commit to God to restore that relationship and be reconciled to that person. In a moment, we're going to be going into a time of communion. And after that, we're going to have a song. I'm going to stay up here. If you want to come up and and talk to me about that, if you'd like some prayer about that, if you'd like 
just any kind of guidance, I'd be glad to give that to you. I'd be glad to do that if you want to come up while that song is being played. Don't wait another day to reconcile that relationship. I believe that's what God is calling us to do. Maybe you're here and you've never accepted Christ. Maybe you're here and you just, you just, you just haven't given your life to the Savior. And you haven't been, you're probably thinking maybe there's plenty of time to worry about that. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm just going to clean myself up first before I can come to Jesus. I've got to make myself acceptable before I come to Him. And I'm going to tell you, I think that's all just wrong thinking. I don't think there's any reason to wait. Maybe you're also thinking you have to give something up, or maybe it's too much. But waiting another day is just too long. Yeah, I don't know if you really know what that means, to be separated from God. But we don't have Christ in our lives. We have a separation. We are, we are separated from that right relationship, from that harmony, that friendship with our Creator. Do you realize what that means? If that's you today, I'm gonna, like I said, I'm going to be up here. Randy's going to be up here as well. I beg you, don't wait. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow brings for any of us. Today's the day. There's, there's, there's water over here that's perfectly warm. And there's stuff in the back. We can make this happen. There's shorts, there's t-shirts, there's towels. If that's you today, who cares if your car seat's wet when you go home? Come up. Come up. See, I think you're kind of playing this kind of spiritual Russian roulette if you haven't accepted Christ. Do you really know where you'll be spending your eternity today? I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you. That's a reality. It's true. Don't wait. Don't wait another day. He's inviting you right now. And folks, even that isn't the end game. When you do that, we want to help you take your next step on this journey as we try to get closer and closer to Christ, to the Savior of the world. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it, isn't it amazing what He was willing to do so that we might be saved? Don't wait. You know, we're getting ready to go into a time of communion. The guys are, are kind of assembling in the back. And so this is such a wonderful time for us to acknowledge this, this relationship that we have with our Creator. It's a time where we can pause and we can just have this simple little meal that means so, so much. When we take that little cup of juice, we take that little piece of bread, we're remembering this relationship. We're, we're enjoying this relationship that we have, this direct access to the living God. When we take this, that's what I pray for you today, is you'll remember not just the sacrifice that He made, but for the friend that He is. And for this wonderful gift, well, we don't have to have anything between us and God. We have direct access to Him. Would you all pray with me as we prepare for communion? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You so much. We thank You for this wonderful gift that You give us. We stand amazed at this relationship that You offer us. God, we love You. We love you. We praise your name. As we eat this meal, let us all remember that you are a friend. 
that you are our perfect counselor and that you're our Savior. 